Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 86th episode, I'll be talking to Paul Melanson, singer, songwriter, and creator of the Get Go's Action Hour, about 70s AM radio. Along the way, we discuss the fascination of a creator taking a big swing, the beloved idiocy of 8-track tapes, and we absolutely, positively do not promote a rock opera of Chapek's War with the Newts. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Mat of You. Editor's note, I'm not quite sure what happened with Paul's audio here, but you'll find it dipping in and out and sounding a bit squibbly every now and again. It does get better, but it also gets a little bit worse in some spots. My apologies. We join this conversation already in progress. Paul. So for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Well, my name is Paul Melanson. I'm a musician from Atlanta, Georgia in the U.S. I've been playing music since college, which is, oh man, 30 years ago? Good (laughs) God. Um, So a solid pedigree. Yeah. I've done some touring with some national acts, not a lot. Mostly I've just been in the southeast of the U.S. playing around. I've got three CDs, which have gotten lots of nice words written about them. And I suffer from uh, clinical depression. So I went through a period where I kind of quit doing music for a while and had a big experience uh, trying to work on my depression and turn myself around and uh, started to play music again. Now I'm making a record. Yeah, and the new record that you're making actually has a Kickstarter going on, which is it on the 10th when it ends? I think it's ending on the 7th. Seventh, there you go. Although, let me just uh, pull up the internet here and let me just check what a current running tally is. It's doing extremely well. We hit the initial goal in the first three days. Jesus, that's great, man. I did not expect, especially given how much I had tormented myself over starting the thing for about a year. And then we've been hitting stretch goals since then. So we're almost at the last one. At last check... Although no, now it's, uh, I was going to say, it's put it into Australian dollars. So everyone do your mental conversions. Of the initial 6,757 Australian dollars, which God knows how much that is in US dollars, you have raised $9,803 Australian. Wow, it sounds so much better in Australian. <laughs> Doesn't it just? Except for when you're doing it the other way, like you're ordering something from like Goulet pens or something. And you're like, oh, that's only like 20 bucks. And you're like, oh, no, that's $78. It's like, no. No, I won't. But no, did you want to kind of give a brief summary of the new album and what it's going to be about? Because I'm really interested in this. This is kind of hitting a lot of my touchstones. Well, okay. So <laughs> I have severe clinical depression. I've had it for about 15 years, on and off. And it peaked and I had sort of a breakdown back in 2006. Spent some time in a hospital. Made it through that. But kept battling the depression. I kind of quit doing music. I really pretty much quit doing everything. I just didn't have the desire to do anything at all. 
And that was kind of the status quo for a few years. I was on different medicines, which were effective for a little while, and then they would fade, and they'd try something else, and it would work for a little while, and then it would stop. It got to the point where they had decided that basically I was meds resistant. Okay. And so they were talking about maybe doing ECT, the uh, electroconvulsive therapy, which is not the horror show that you might picture if you think about it historically. Electroshock is basically what it is. But it is still firing electrical current into me and making me convulse. And they don't even really know why it works, when it works. And the same really goes for the meds. And so I didn't like the sound of it. And I was kind of desperate for some kind of solution. So I decided I'd read this article in National Geographic about ayahuasca, which is this hallucinogenic drug from the Amazon that the shaman gives to people as medicine. And there was a lot of study on it saying that it was useful for people with depression. And the person who was writing the article had suffered from clinical depression for a long time. And she had gone down there and tried it and had, had some real success with it. So I got in touch with her. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> and asked her where she'd gone. And, and she was really helpful and really informative. And so basically in the end, I decided to go to the same place she went. This place down in Peru. And I took ayahuasca with a shaman. And I had a real experience, which I won't try to go into, into detail because it'll sound crazy. I heard the capitals in the A Real Experience, yeah. capital R, capital E. It is, exactly. I'm glad the old caps showed through. But because of that, I came back, and they always say that it's an experience that you have to process for a while. And I did. And I spent like the next year or so, two years, trying to make sense of what had happened to me there. It wasn't like I was magically cured. But I, it did honestly feel as if my brain had sort of been rewritten. And eventually what I came to was this thought that my cynicism, my sort of jaded nature towards the world, but that cynicism had never created anything. That any time I made something, it was because I said yes to something and chose to believe in it. And so I started to get back into music again. I started to kind of love music again. I wanted to try to express what had happened to me in some way musically and i didn't hit on the idea right away but eventually what came to me was i had this idea of there's this cartoon show it's called the get-go's action hour it's like a 70s musical cartoon on saturday morning you know they fight monsters and then they play songs in the middle of the cartoon i would start it there and what the band wouldn't know is that the leader of that little cartoon band he is suffering from severe clinical depression and he has a breakdown over the course of these cartoons that kind of shows up in the cartoons and in the songs and then at the middle of the record it all sort of falls apart and then he's left trying to figure out how to build a new life when his life is falling apart and so he ends up going to the amazon going to peru taking ayahuasca and having essentially the same experience as me so it's a really strange mashup of like Saturday morning cartoons and existential depression. Yeah, and see, like if you look at the the sort of the style of the all the the artwork and stuff around it, at first glance it'll be reminiscent of something like. And listeners to the show will know that I am kind of a connoisseur of this kind of thing. I mean, we talked about Gilligan's Planet with Art Lee Vasquez a few episodes ago. Oh, man, Gilligan's Planet, yes. Oh, it was it was some rough <laughs> stuff, but it's actually reminiscent. What it reminded me of was Partridge Family, uh, twenty two hundred A.D. That's in there too. All, basically, all of that real goofy Hanna Barbera 
this is not the real way bands work kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone knows that bands just kind of roam from town to town like the Incredible Hulk and getting into scrapes and playing cards. Yeah, see, so, yeah so there's this band and they come across this weird little machine and they put it in their tour van and then it transports them to this alternate dimension and they fight villains and sing songs. Yeah, sounds perfectly logical and reasonable to me. Yeah. And what I really like is that you're incorporating your experience into that. So it's not just you know, a cartoon for the sake of being a cartoon. It's using this and giving you a familiar setting and immediately kind of deepening it with these real emotions and real situations. I think that's really interesting. And that's kind of what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell the story, but push it through just some of the other weird things that matter to me and that I find fascinating or love. So there's that. There's some Werner Herzog references in there. and <laughs> Just because. Please tell me no one gets eaten by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and like each cartoon villain is actually a representation of one of the symptoms of depression that I deal with. Like there's an insomnia villain, a panadonia villain, and um, a panic attack villain. So That's really cool. It felt more like me to do it that way than to try and do it straightforward. No, I'm very much a fan of using fiction and things like that to address these kind of real symptoms. I mean, I spoke at length about how... I was very appreciative of an episode of Justice League Unlimited using the Flash and an evil robot to talk about how defeating negative self-talk and how it affected me extremely deeply. So yeah, that's that's something that very much I, I'm looking forward to when the album is finally released. Hey. So let's start with the basics then, Paul. Whereabouts did you grow up? I was born and raised here in Atlanta, which is rare. This is a city that has a lot of flow into it, so it's rare that someone can say that they're actually a native. Not that it matters. I was a shy kid which will come as no surprise, maybe. And a creative kid. While I was growing up, I kind of decided I either wanted to be a rock star or a superhero. <laughs> I guess I decided at some point that a superhero wasn't as likely because radioactive spider mites, you, you just die. <laughs> <laughs> Went with rock star. I mean, rock star never really happened either, but, but music has been good. So were you playing music from a young age? or I sang from a young age, but not, I mean, like just in my room. But it was always the thing I enjoyed the most, was just sitting around singing your records. I didn't really get into playing until the end of high school. And I had a friend who played guitar, and he taught me how to play guitar. And then in college, I was in a band, and I also had no idea why I was in college. <laughs> no why I was there or what, I was, what my plan was. So I spent a lot of time playing guitar. Was just sort of an inertia thing, kind of like you had some forward momentum and that was just what was next? Or Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, like the expected thing after high school was that I would go to college because I was a smart kid. So I ended up going to this college that was like a weird liberal arts school where there were no tests and there were no grades. It was just you wrote a lot of papers, talked a lot with your advisors, and that was how you made it through the process. So it's great if you know what you want to do. But it's probably not the best place to go if you don't really have a plan. And I didn't have a plan. <laughs> and so after about a year and a half, the money ran out on my end. And and that was that. So really, I went to college for a year and a half to learn how to be in a band. So <laughs> when I got back home, that's what I did. I started playing out here and then put a band together and went from there. Okay. What sort of music was it that you were listening to where you went, you know what, that's it? I want to be a rock star. I want to be a musician. So what was it that was getting your attention? My favorite band when I was a kid and to sing along to was ELO. I liked a lot of other stuff at the time from 70s radio. I mean, like I have a giant 
Spotify, AM <laughs> radio hits. But ELO was a big formative influence on me, and then the Beatles after that. But I, it was all filtered through the 70s for me. And then uh, when I got into high school, I started to get into prog rock, like Yes and Genesis and that kind of stuff that most people would call really pretentious. And it is, but I... I, I... <laughs> I have this thing where I, I've decided, that this is another thing that I decided after Perot, was that I, I don't think that pretentious is a bad thing. Being pretentious is more about you just have a big idea and you've decided, I'm just going to do this big, overblown thing, and who cares? Because I believe it. that to me is not a negative thing. So No, I appreciate that. It's funny because this is a slight tangent, so I apologize for no. it. This weekend, because in the last like couple of weeks our cable network has been like, oh, you guys can have the movie channels for free until like the 19th. And so Kimiko and I being new parents, we missed a whole bunch of stuff that came through the theaters. And so we just recorded like tons and tons of things just thinking, what the hell, we'll get to them eventually. And this weekend in like the space of a couple of nights, we went through and did Blade Runner 2049 and Alien Covenant. And when you talk about having a big idea and not giving a shit about explaining it or whether people get it or not, you just, this is a thing I'm going to make. And I'm going to make it, and it's going to be my thing. And if you get it, that's cool. But if you don't, that's cool too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have no interest in explaining this idea to you. I'm going to put it up, and what you take away from it is up to you. Yeah, and I, I have gotten to the point where I, I would much rather watch somebody take a stab at something huge like that and fall than to watch someone who knows what they're doing and knows their sweet spot and just stays there and just sits back in the pocket kind of thing something i i don't know if you've seen it but have you seen the documentary on yodorowsky's den yes i have wow that's that's a hell of a thing it is <laughs> and believe me i am because i watched that i have watched some of his films since and they're bizarre as hell and I enjoyed them, but at the same time, I think if he had made that movie, it would have been a huge mess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I love how passionate he is about what he wanted to do with Dune, and I watch that documentary like once every few months because it, it makes me want to make big, dumb ideas. It's one of those things where it's very clear why it didn't work and why even if it had worked, it probably wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But there is a, there is a sort of romanticism about about a big swing, you know? Yeah, I mean, and he was putting everything into that thing, and I, I do kind of believe that the idea of it is better than anything he could have made, but it's still, like, <laughs> it's inspiring to watch. Yeah, and listeners, if you haven't seen this documentary, I highly recommend you check it out. <laughs> I mean, and if you've seen what Dune actually eventually became under the hand of David Lynch with, you know, Cal McLaughlin in front of it, and you know it's already pretty weird. <laughs> and if you've read the book, you know it's pretty weird. That was nothing. <laughs> oh, drop in the bucket in comparison. <laughs> oh, my God. But this idea of, you know, this pretentious music, and I mean, I was very briefly in a couple of half-assed bands in the last 15 years or so, mm -hmm. mostly with the idea of wanting, because I, I played drums when I was younger, and wanting to, like, I think I bought, like, the cheapest kit I could find on eBay, which was, like, 150 bucks for a seven-piece kit, which should tell you exactly the quality of what <laughs> arrived in the mail. <laughs> And put together myself with zero knowledge of how to do it. And then we just go over to one of my friend's house and just, you know, every Saturday morning for a couple of years and just noodle around. And yeah. and he was a big prog guy. And, and then, of course, stepped up into things like, you know, Godspeed You Black Emperor and Dillinger Escape Plan and yeah. 
in pivot and stuff like that and was just playing a lot with looping and sampling and that was fun but just when you decide to go you know what sure this is pretentious i want to actually listen and see what i can get out of this what is this person trying to do yeah and it may even put you off at first and be like oh this is in some cases you know aggressively unwelcoming yeah but if you kind of push past that you can get something really interesting out of it i think yeah i think i think that there's something worthwhile in the, if nothing else in the kernel of tech mm. idea and like when i say prog i mean i know a lot of prog bands are extremely proficient at their instruments and they like to let you know that they're extremely <laughs> and that's i mean that's never really been the kind of musician i am and i tend to favor you know pop songs but i really at this point in my career i'm trying to listen to the big dumb goofy ideas that i have always had but usually talk myself <laughs> out of like i tone them down so i'm like no one's gonna this is great and so that's kind of what this record is for me it's just I had all these goofy ideas and I thought, screw it, I'll just make this record. See if people want to hear it or not. Yeah, and, and you're right. There's that, that AM sensibility of just like broad waving something out and you know someone's going to be tapping their foot. You know someone's going to be in their car and they can sing along. Yeah. For me, it was my dad used to buy the, the white label tapes at the gas station that would be like hits of the 50s and 60s. Right. And it's the Hollies and it's Danny and the Juniors and Dion and the Belmonts and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And again... That stuff has crept into the point where it's like, if I need to clean the house, if I need to put something on that will just like get me moving, yeah. I have a whole playlist of that. It's just good old things. <laughs> I just throw it on and it takes me straight back. Something like hats off to Larry. And I can just like, yep, okay. It's kind of a terrible concept about <laughs> a guy who's happy that a piece of shit dumped this girl that he knows because you broke her heart. Therefore, I can go and date her. And it's like, that's a terrible concept. <laughs> it's a catchy song though. <laughs> Actually, we mentioned my friend Ellen in the pre-show. I was joking with them that, you know, someone could write a thesis on topping from the bottom, gender roles in Hats Off to Larry. <laughs> there you go. There's your there's your dissertation. Absolutely. It's like in my TEDx talk and I'm dragged away from the podium by security. <laughs> so in your AM radio playlist, ELO is one of those bands where, I don't know, maybe this is just my read on them. They kind of never gave a shit if you thought they were cool. They're just like, I'm just going to make this kind of happy song and you can yeah i I would find it hard to believe that they ever thought (laughs) yeah (laughs) so what else was on your playlist that time i can tell you even easier because i have (laughs) sitting right here the power of the internet i was just talking to somebody a couple days ago about you know the song how much i feel by ambrosia actually i don't think i know that one tell me about it it's just that apparently this band just used to be essentially a prog band but then they tried to sort of go top 40 it was just this big hit in like 78 i think but it just has this great bridge and these the melody line and the high vocals and you know i don't know if i have anything deep to say about it other than i just it every time it comes on i have to sing it i just googled how much i feel by ambrosia and i gotta say that the youtube thumbnail is something that would be spray painted on the side of a van it is like (laughs) what looks to be a lunar eclipse with light painted on clouds all in this sort of like indigo blue and uh yeah now we're talking (laughs) let's see i love the 70s bowie stuff see that he was cool and he was cool i could never be that cool. absolutely cool enough that that you understand that you are that cool that you can just drop everything and do something entirely different because you know it's you and you're cool so that's okay i hope that 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 was as exciting and as big a release for him as it seems like it should have been totally to just not care and be that talented it's something that i remember reading about prince in the early 2000s and just being like 
yeah, I've got something like, I don't know, 23, 24 albums away. It's just it's not the right time for them yet. Right. They're good, and I like them, got, and I've made them. Just had just no vault. Yeah, not right now. Stuff. <laughs> and just, like, out of nowhere, just be like, oh, here's an entire album that I'm going to give away for free with a newspaper. Yeah. Just because just cause I can. Yeah, I'm a big Prince fan, too. Queen. I love Queen. I sound like such an old guy. I mean, <laughs> I appreciate that I am, but, you know, you don't have to look at it every day in the face. <laughs> Stevie Wonder, another thing I, in the, when I was a kid was I loved 70s soul. And my mother used to have eight-track tapes of uh, a bunch of different soul acts, and I used to listen to those things all the time. Stevie Wonder and Glass Night and the Pips and the OJs and all that stuff. I'll take a moment to highlight that the eight-track tape is kind of beautiful in that it is one of the stupidest forms of physical media you will ever deal with. Like anytime you hear something on an eight-track tape, you're kind of aware that it could be the last time you ever hear that thing. Because at any point, that tape should just get like... And the really... And it's gone. The other beautiful thing is that they would just totally break up the track order because they had those four tracks and only so much could fit on each one. And so there are songs (laughs) that I know really, really well that for me, when I listen to them now... It'll hit a point in the song, and I'm like, why isn't the song pausing so it can switch to the next track? Where, where's the break in the middle of the song for no reason? <laughs> I was saying that to someone the other day where it's like, you know, there are certain songs, yeah, where you have that remembrance because you made a mixtape for someone once, and you ran out of space on the side, and about, you know, a minute and a half into uh, that particular song, it would cut off, right. and it would flip to the other side, and you had that terrifying moment where you'd go, shit, do I just put the song again? Or was it enough of the song where it's like that counts as a play and I should go on to the next thing? <laughs> or worse, like I have one in particular. It was Green Day's Basket Case. Mm-hmm. I had recorded that onto a tape that I could play it in the car mm-hmm. because our car trips had a very democratic thing where I would get to play a tape and my sister would get to play a tape and then my mom would get to play a tape. That's nice. So yeah, you know, I got exposed to stuff like, you know, Tori Amos and Lorena McKinnon, which I appreciated in later years. Lots of like, you know, 90s R&B and stuff from my sister. <laughs> and then I would throw on whatever I was listening to that month, which probably annoyed the hell out of them. <laughs> and there was a thing where I was recording Basket Case by Green Day onto a tape and the CD started skipping on the word I and it would be like, I am one of those. Instead, it would just go, I, 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 and you'd hear it cut off. And there would be like a half second of dead air before I started the song over again. Mm-hmm. And for me, now, whenever I hear that song and it gets past the eye, like I feel like my body tenses up for a second. Right, right. And then it like slides nice and smoothly through that lyric. Yeah, because you've been trained. Exactly. It's like trained to flinch and be ready to apologize. I'm sorry. I was recording it. There was a skip. It'll fix in a second. I promise. <laughs> But yeah, we were saying. <laughs> you were looking at your list and you were going to mention something else. Oh, sticks. Oh, sticks. How embarrassing. <laughs> They're so bad. But, but? But there's like eight songs on here on this playlist. <laughs> there used to be a band in town that would play 70s hits. And mm-hmm. every now and then they would let me get up and sing with them on a song or two. And to do Lady by Sticks with them. It was the yeah. It was the best, goofiest thing I think maybe I've ever gotten to do. Because when he sings, he he over enunciates crazy. It's like because <laughs> he's like this. It's like a rock band fronted by a frustrated high school drama teacher. It's just 
<laughs> this is a perfect description of sticks. Have you ever seen the behind the music for sticks? No, I haven't. Wait, is it one of those ones where it's real good and only because you realize just how bad it is? Or yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's no one comes out looking really great in that one. And, but Dennis DeYoung in particular is just. He's so convinced that the Kill Room is Here record was a, an act of genius, and he just doesn't understand why it wasn't a huge success that he thought it would be a big show. And I saw that show, <laughs> Big Arena. Oh, it was so goofy. That's the one with Mr. Roboto, which I assume most people would know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Sticks is doubly bad because they are a mix of that pop idea, and also they were very pretentious. And again, I fully support that. <laughs> but it is also kind of bad so, but i'm glad that it's in the world yep i think it's like i'm gonna quote chris simpson i'm gonna say everybody's got a stinker in them and sometimes you know that stinker is gonna be just this amazing perfect thing that can only exist in that one moment right. you know <laughs> someone reads a michael moorcock novel and decides you know what i need like a suite of songs on elric i need it i need it right now well, I, along those lines, I don't want to promote a thing that I'm not deliberately trying to promote right now. We can discuss it without making it a promotion. Right. Yeah, the official disclaimer, this is not a promotion. <laughs> On the side of the record I'm trying to wrap up right now, I recently learned, and it only took me, you know, 20 years of playing music to figure this out, but that I'm better off if I have two things going at the same time, because that way, when one of them gets stuck and I just can't seem to push it, forward i can just switch over to the other one everything over there feels new and fresh and oh this is going to be great and i can work on that for a little while till i get stuck and then i can jump back to the first one but uh, there's this book called war with the newts okay you have my attention well i highly recommend it it came out in the 30s it's by carol kapek i'm not sure how you say his name he's a czechoslovakian writer he's the man who invented the word robot, it's a robot. yeah yeah yeah. Chopek, I think it is. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, yeah. well, I only know because there was a Futurama episode where they named a planet Chopek 9 because it was the planet of the robots. How did I miss that one? Now I have to go look for that. War with the Newts. And basically, they discover this race of intelligent newt that lives underwater and they become a commodity. And then eventually, well, I don't want to spoil the book, but you should read the book. It's a great satire and it's, it's fabulous. Ever since I read it, I wanted to write a song. And now I'm doing like a whole album. <laughs> Excellent. And I, I have no illusion that there's more than maybe five people in the world who want to hear that. <laughs> and they may all be playing on it with me, but I can't wait to get that one out because it's been a ton of fun writing lyrics. This is going to be the equivalent of your Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. Yes. One of the people I asked to give me some music for it made that exact comparison because he's a big fan of it. Because this record's a little different in that I'm not writing the music for it. I've been asking different musician friends I have to just give me a snippet or some kind of music thing, and then I try to write lyrics to it and make it that way. Dumb, goofy ideas. Now, see, I like this idea. I mean, I'm the particular kind of person where, for a while, whenever I would go to any kind of secondhand bookstore or sometimes record shops will have, like, a random shelf of, like, you know, beat-up old paperbacks that someone donated along with, you know, all their records yeah uh, you know if they died or if their mom decided that they're not going to keep it anymore and i would be like all right i don't have much battery left on my phone i need something to read on the way what's the cheapest book i can buy that i might want to keep on my shelf after if it's good 
And so I would just get like, often I would go to like the old Penguin classics, the ones that would be like released in the seventies and just be like, what the hell? I recognize that name. This is a lesser known work. I'll give it a shot. And a lot of them are terrible. And a lot of them are like really like alienating and weird. But every once in a while you catch a winner and there's something about, I don't know. It's, it's something that I've realized it as I, I get older. I mean, I'm 36, so I'm not super old, but where certain writing from certain periods of the time will just be like clean enough and have a clear enough idea that it will just like sink in and I'll get it. And one of them was John Wyndham's The Kraken Wakes, Mm -hmm. which is like a journalistic account of the old like BBC News Service style journalism Uh of an alien invasion and how that would be noticed and how like the whole first bit is just about, oh, there were these meteors over the ocean and no one quite knows what they are. And oh, who has this thing? And oh, I heard a ship went down. Who can verify that? And oh, Russia says this, America says this, and Britain has said this thing. And it's like this weird kind of cozy apocalypse. And then they'll cut to like, oh, here's five years later when it's like, oh, we're now like battlefield correspondents for like half the book. And then at the end, it's like, oh, well, then this thing happened. And now we're all kind of after the end. And what I really liked about it was in this kind of very journalistic review of it, there was some really kind of advanced writing happening. There's at one point where there was an attack and the main character kind of lives through it and goes home and has post-traumatic stress episodes in his sleep, like would wake up in his sleep and try and protect his wife who was in bed with him from a thing that wasn't there. Yeah. And she basically hatches a plan to send him off to the country for a while until he can, like first she has a deep conversation with him that says, hey, you know, you've been doing this, right? You've been trying to save me in your sleep every night. You need to acknowledge this thing happened. And it was bad. And you need to get your shit together. And yeah, I remember like reading it and going, this is an incredibly modern view on post-traumatic stress. Yeah. It was, it kind of blew my mind. What's it called again? The Kraken Wakes by John Wyndham. The same guy who wrote Day of the Trippets. Oh. Wait, I'm going to double check that fact because I want to make sure. <laughs> it's a quick read too. It's like less than 200 pages. Okay. I just like blew through it in like two nights. And I, I could not believe it. Like it just like was one of those things where I'm like, are we sure? Do, do people other people know about this? Oh yes, it was Day of the Trippets, yeah, and the Chrysalids as well, and the Midwich Cuckoos and stuff like that. So, yeah, just like the idea of saying, oh, a story from Chapek in 1936, and I'm going to build an album around it. Yes, day one, sign me up. You, you, but it's not a promotion. It's not a promotion. Everyone, calm down. Right, exactly. Don't don't <laughs> don't even think about it anymore. That's just forget what I told you. If you see the book, you might really like it because it sounds the. Newt's book is kind of structured the same way. It's not like a straightforward narrative. It's more like snippets from different scenes that are disparate that come together to give you the full scope of the thing. No, definitely gonna check it out. Which is kind of why I thought it worked really well as a record because you could, if you break it up right, each song can be kind of distinct from each other. You're not just telling this character does this and this and this and this. It's more like you get little views of the world as they mm-hmm. progress. So. Yeah, cool. I like it. All right, now, we, now we've gone completely off track into the thing, but that is completely okay. That's what the show's about. <laughs> so in your initial email when we were setting this up, you also want to talk a little bit about kind of cartoons from the 70s and some of the TV from that era. So did you have anything that comes to mind? I know there was a specific mention of Donnie and Marie ice skating to Steely Dan. Yeah, well, they're not ice skating. They're just singing, reeling in the ears, <laughs> crushing every bit of life out of it. <laughs> And then the the ice dancers, forget their names, they're skating around and dancing. But just the 70s variety shows, 
where it was just what you have you're a c-less celebrity let's put you in front of a camera and have you sing popular songs in a terrible way and then uh, we'll have some dancers and some horrible skits and it'd be great <laughs> i have always had in the back of my head that i wanted to do a show not like a regular show but just like do a concert that i basically organized in the same way as like a really bad variety show we would have terrible unfunny skits um with bands you'd have to incorporate a laugh track somewhere in there yeah exactly well you know that's to tie it back to the project some of the stretch goals have been because this project for me is more than just the record like i actually wanted to make the cartoons of the get-gos that supposedly were on each of the songs in the first half of the record and one of the things i have to do is i have to find a good laugh track for the cartoon because it's not a really true half or bare experience without that <laughs> you know, for every bad joke that they make that isn't funny <laughs> it's got to go up and down like a wave yeah 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 it's a really crucial part of the world building <laughs> the laugh track. absolutely something about like for, for all of the laugh track is you know derided and overused and it's like i'm re- listening to god years ago now there was this really interesting radio lab episode about the anatomy of a laugh track mm-hmm. and how specifically, I think it was they used it in relation to the nanny because friend Dresher had a very terrible experience that I'm not going to describe because I don't want to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. Mm. And they said specifically, all right, we need to make an encouraging environment. Whenever we have a studio audience, we are going to pick the best laughers, like the ones who have that real, like, infectious, get you going laugh. Right. And we're going to like put a red X next to them and we're going to make an entire audience of those people. As part of the episode in that radio labby kind of way, they had some of those laughs isolated. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was just like walking around the city with my headphones on at the time. And I was just, yeah, it's just an incredibly like powerful and infectious thing to have that laugh track. It's funny. I just heard, I think it was on 99% Invisible, but I might be wrong. But they talked with, I guess, the son of the guy who made the first machine, the first laugh track machine. Oh, cool. About basically how he, for him, it was like a musical instrument. I mean, he knew the kind of laughs that he would want for what kind of jokes, and he would kind of play the dials to add to the scene. Like, it wasn't just he hit a button and there was laughter. Interesting. I'm picturing it as kind of a cross between, like, you know, a radio Foley artist and, like, Bugs Bunny when he was a conductor. He just he raised the hand and... But no, I, I completely get that, and that would be really cool. I might have to go check that one out. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good hmm. episode. I remember there was, I can't remember which variety show it was, and then they had Epstein from Welcome Back, Cotter on when he was a bionic <laughs> sweat hog, because you know those are two popular <laughs> things. And so, well, why don't we slap those together? Because we don't have anything else to do. I was gonna say that's the T Fury of its day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Oh my god. All right, Paul. So if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they normally go? And I'm going to give you a big space here because we're going to talk about the Kickstarter and everything that's involved in it and your stretch goals. So I'm just going to turn you loose. Go for it. (laughs) Well, the main place is paulmelancon.com and it's M-E-L-A-N-C-O-N, like melancholy, but it's pronounced like son of a melon. There's links to everything, to the Kickstarter, to where you can find music. They're all there. I have the Kickstarter running. Well, first of all, you can get my other music on iTunes. It's on Spotify and it's on Pandora. It's, it's in all the places that you would expect to find it. And then the Kickstarter for the new record is running till the 7th. We've hit the main goal. We've hit a few of the stretch goals. We have one stretch goal left. 
the understroke filter basically to help make these cartoons for the get-go's. I've done all the design work for them and I've written scripts, but just sitting to actually animate them takes a lot of time. Yeah, you got to make sure you drop all the expected frames and that the animation is as herky-jerky as possible and to reuse as much of it as possible. That's a beautiful part, by the way. This is If I have a skill, it's not so much that I have skills as <laughs> know how to do a lot with a limited skill set. And so I'm not an animator, but I have animation software and I have learned the barest basics of it in order to make a cartoon that, to make it feel correct, gets to be pretty crappy. So instead of, you know, I don't have to do anything really fancy, I just have to make a really workmanlike cartoon and it'll be perfect. So that's been a bonus. Thank you, Hanna-Barbera. And <laughs> cost-cutting in the 70s. They've given us, well, let's see, metal that breaks like rocks, someone throwing back their head and laughing repeatedly, yes. only one thing moving on the screen at any one time, and cost-cutting. Thank you, Heine Yep. yep. <laughs> and dodgy science. Don't forget dodgy science. I remember there's a Thundar the Barbarian episode. You know, it's set a thousand years in the future, but somebody picks up a VW bug and throws it at somebody, and I thought, wow, who knew <laughs> that a, a VW bug would last that long? Uh, yeah, and in perfect condition. Exactly. So that's what the stretch goals have been for. All of those cartoons are funded. The last one is I was going to animate the final song, a video for the final song, which won't be a Get Ghost cartoon, but just a, some other kind of animation that I'm doing. You get the record, and there's lots of awards. You can get a Shrinky Dink keychain. <laughs> yeah. Button sets, or you can get a hamburger with me and tell me your crazy idea, and then I'll try to talk you into doing it. That was a specific, like, one that I particularly loved. I thought that was a great idea. That's my favorite reward. I <laughs> lie. Someone did finally get one, so I, can't, I have that to look forward to. Excellent. Although they did it for their, they did it for their daughter, which is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I figured, you know, if I had to do that, it would just be some other middle-aged schlub like me. I didn't know I would have to mold minds. That's that <laughs> a lot of pressure. I think if anybody's up to the challenge, it would be you. Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I hope they do. Also, you can get like a download of all of the music I've done, which is the three records plus like 84 covers that I did when I was starting to get back into music. Yeah, I was looking. That, that tier is particularly popular. Everyone loves that one. Yeah, because I was in a group, this Facebook group that started around the time that I was getting back into music called Theme Music. And basically what it was is every week, this person would give us a theme, like a mm -hmm. color or songs to start with B or songs about greed or things like that. And one could just post whatever musically. It started out as just people playing acoustic guitar straight to camera. And it was like you know, maybe 10 or 15 people. And then it ballooned over the next few years. We were all really into it, and we started making these elaborate videos, sending multi-track songs back and forth to add tracks to people's songs. And so I ended up a lot of cover songs on That's so cool. God, all my Facebook groups are about it. They're just like, you know, talking about wrestling or <laughs> podcasts. Or... <laughs> it, was a, it was a special little thing. It's, it's kind of died down now, but it lasted for like a good five years, really strong, and I... To last that long and not have some kind of big, crazy argument with everybody in it is a magical thing on the internet. Yeah, it's practically a unicorn. <laughs> Very much so. All right, Paul. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, please go and check out Paul's Kickstarter. Get in while you still can. I am going to do my best to have this up at least a few days before the Kickstarter ends so that all my listeners can get in if they want to. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on the show, too, Lucas. It was a lot of fun. Oh, great. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.
thank you very much to Paul Mellison for his time. When I asked Paul about a signature cocktail, he said he used to be a big fan of the Tom Collins. Now, the Tom Collins is one of those cocktails that you hear mentioned a lot, which is surprising considering it just celebrated its 140th birthday last year. When you look at the mix, it's very similar to something like a Ricky. You've got gin, you've got citrus, you've got a little bit of sugar, and you've got some soda. But for some reason, for such a simple cocktail, the Tom Collins has persevered. You can walk into just about any bar or pub and say, hey, give me a Tom Collins, and the bartender will know what you mean, and they'll probably have an opinion on it. My version punches up some of the non-alcoholic ingredients with a little bit of booze, and the result is a drink that's just packed with flavor. So I present the Super Rocket X1. Fill a tall glass with ice. In the glass, combine one and a half ounces of botanical gin, a third of an ounce of maraschino liqueur, half an ounce of limoncello, and half an ounce of lemon juice. Stir to combine and top up with two ounces of sparkling water or club soda. Garnish with a sprig of thyme. Guaranteed to fuel your next big, dumb, wonderful idea. Enjoy! Matthew is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every second Wednesday evening, with a bonus episode in between, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell me what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. Hey, I don't know your life. You could have a Scrooge McDuck money bin that you keep just for Patreon people. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would really just appreciate it a whole bunch. Some tiers of support come with thanks on the show, and so this week I'm thanking Valerie Mont. Thanks, Valerie. I think you're great. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. You can also leave a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist with every song I've ever used, going all the way back to episode one, including this song. It's Hyperventilate, by, you guessed it, Paul Mellinson. Or is it technically by the Get-Go's? I don't know. It's very meta. Also, I've been listening to some of Paul Mellinson's back catalogue, and I really, really like Camera Obscura, which is an older album of his. And there's actually a Get-Go's track on one of his other albums, called 1985, and it's really good. 
I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get the new music in your ears. Next week is going to be a bonus episode, but my next guest will be Rich Howard, co-host of Whelmed, the Young Justice Files podcast, and it's finally happened. We're going to talk about Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Join me, won't you? Yeah, what whereabouts are you? I was gonna I know you're East Coast, but in Atlanta. Oh cool. I've been watching a ton of Queer Eye this last two weeks, so I feel like I've heard much of the Atlanta accent. That's true. It's true. Yeah. They're all over the state this season and last season. I was going to say, it's funny because I was just saying to someone, uh, one of my friends, Al, was, they were saying, because they're from Tennessee, I was saying that, you know, you, you don't expect, like, or rather the opposite, you do expect a certain caliber of Southern accent from stuff set in the South. Yeah. Maybe not the cartoonish level that you expect from, like, most media. But then you hear someone from there, you go, oh, you don't really sound, and then you hear them when they're, like, a little bit tired or a little bit loaded. Right. And you hear them say something like, lawyer. And it's like, oh, right. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Funny, because I, I was born and raised here, which is kind of rare in mm. the city, but I've never had an accent. But when I was in college, I went to college up in Massachusetts. It was also when I first started playing music, and I had friends who would tell me that when I sang, they could hear my accent. Oh, okay, cool. That was funny. I don't know that yeah, it's like, the case, but... but I like when accents come through in singing a bit. I mean, that's that was the allure initially of Arctic Monkeys, is that when they sang, you could hear that sort of in their voice a little bit and same with there's a, a band I love called the Baseballs who are like a six piece German rockabilly outfit that do like covers of pop songs mm-hmm. like they'll do like Rihanna's Umbrella in like you know okay. they're really swinging like two step kind of style it's really fun but there is that slight slight German accent in their um, in those really clean kind of doo-wop vocals <laughs> it's a fun time yeah. But then uh, coming back to Queer Eye, it's like, yeah, okay, there's some people with different accents. And there was one recently where they, they were, like, making over this, like, 18-year-old kid who was a singer. And at one point they go to a... I saw Yeah, 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 that's the one. And they go to the paintball range, and the guy explaining the paintball range, something in that, like, there was a particular, like, low timbre of voice with an extremely southern accent that made you, like, want to stand to the tension and, like, not slouch, <laughs> sit up straight, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> We don't take too kindly to that sort of thing in these parts. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I am I am so sorry. <laughs> what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> I was taking a sip of coffee when you said I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just cause an interglobal spit take? I was going to say, an in- intercontinental incident. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>